book of Genesis chapter 22. There is something in this. There are times where I know that the Lord will talk to us and it is, it is his word for the day. If I can say it that way. doesn't mean it doesn't have any bearing after that day. It just means it's, it's something that right now where we are, we needed it right then. It was a word for the day and maybe it encouraged or gave direction and we may draw on it from time to time. But there are also times where I know that the Lord deals with my heart and it's not a word for the day, it's a word for my life. Does that make sense, that distinction? It's, it's something the Lord is dealing with me about through His Word where He's not just trying to give me direction for a moment or He's not trying to encourage me where I'm at. But He's really trying to affect my way of thinking and living for the rest of my life. I'm, I'm not trying to hype you or sell you something today, um, but I feel like what the Lord has been dealing with me about that we're going to talk through today is a word for our lives if we will receive it as such. And I'm still learning this. I'm not delivering this to you today as though I have figured this out, okay? I'm sharing this with us today, asking us together to see what the Lord would tell us and what he's trying to teach us and where he might take us. And so I'm inviting you on a journey with me, not sharing with you a journey I've taken. Is that all right? Uh, Genesis chapter number 22 starting with verse number one. And it came to pass after these things. It's an interesting statement. After these things, just so you know, we won't take the time because we'd have to read half of the first 21 books. Once Abraham came on the scene in chapter 12, we'd have to read from there through chapter 21 to understand what's meant by after these things. Abraham's been sojourning in the land. Wait, God's just been leading him. Got this promise. His name has been changed. Still no kids. We know the story. He has a son with Hagar, knowing that's not the plan of God. Ultimately, God says, I'm still... And God gives him a son, Isaac. And... After all these things, that God did tempt Abraham, that word tempt there isn't like tempt you with something to see if you'll take the bait. That's not what it means. It means it was a test that the Lord brought to Abraham. It was a test of his character and a test of his relationship. We know it doesn't mean tempt like tempt you to take the bait because the scripture declares to us plainly no man when he is tempted is tempted for God, for God tempteth no man. So it's a test, a test of character, a test of relationship. That God did tempt Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. 
Everybody say he loved him. Abraham, I'd like you to take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you lovest, get you into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning. He saddled his ass. He took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, in case you missed that, they were walking for three days. Why were they walking for three days? Because Abraham was waiting for the place God was going to tell him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, these are servants that are helping him, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad, that's his son Isaac, watch, please watch. I and the lad will go yonder and worship, and will come again to you. This is the first place in Scripture where we find mention of worship. It's also the first place in Scripture where we find mention of love. I don't believe, just as I don't believe about any part of Scripture, I don't believe that these first mentions together are coincidental. Worship and love go together. But not necessarily in the way that you and I might first think. But ultimately, perhaps in the way that we first think. We find this familiar story. And when we read this story, we don't often think in this historical account. We don't often read this historical account and think, wow, that's powerful. I want to worship like that. We read this historical account and of course we think of the beauty of God providing himself a lamb. The prophetic utterance there that Abraham makes just a few verses later to Isaac when he says God will provide himself a lamb. But we see here the first mention of worship. There is this thing in studying the word of God that's known as the rule of first mention. The rule of first mention simply states that Anytime something is first introduced in scripture, that becomes a foundational principle for when you look at it later. You can't discount the rule of first mention. And so uh, this is important, of course, because God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we see this first mention of worship. And it's interesting to me. I'm, I'm, I'm not against music. Please don't think that at all. I'm not against singing. I love singing. I love music. I love creating an atmosphere. I believe those can be parts of and conducive of and complementary to praise and worship. But I don't think they had instruments that they carried up the mountain. They were going to worship. And so you and I must be careful that our worship is never dependent on music and singing. Uh, that can be a danger. Um, and so... But this is worship. And so what is it? Abraham 
said, I'm going there with my boy and we're going to go worship. He understood something that we see throughout scripture that worship, true biblical worship always begins with an altar of sacrifice. How many of you want to be a worshiper? True worship, true biblical worship, always, not sometimes, always begins with an altar of sacrifice. And you can't just throw anything on the altar and call it a sacrifice. True biblical worship says... I'm taking what I love. And what I love, I'm putting on the altar. Because that's worship. What I love will not come between me and worship of Him. And therefore, to truly worship, I must take what I love and put it on the altar of sacrifice and only then have I postured myself to worship. Anything else could be praise, but it's not worship according to the scripture. Why is that? Well, because we serve a God that is a jealous God. We serve a God that was very clear. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. He is God alone. It's why the Shema is so vital to the scripture. And why it is so vital to where we stand foundationally upon the word of God. Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And we believe that. We know that to be truth. But it doesn't stop there. And it says after that. Hear O Israel. The Lord our God is one Lord. And him only shalt thou serve. Is that what it said? Maybe we put that up there. Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Him only shalt thou serve. That is a, an expression of worship that says. I'm not serving another God. Verse 5 says. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. How? With oh, Notice something there. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and. And what? Oh, there's that word love again. You shall love. The Lord your God. How should you love him? With all your heart. With all your soul. And with all your mind. Worship. Is a sacrificing. Of anything and everything I love. That I could run the risk of loving more than him. Isaac, 
that you love, Abraham. I'd like you to take him and offer him. And Abraham understood exactly what God was asking. God is wanting me to worship him. You know, it was what the Lord Jesus, it's why he came into the temple and braided a cord and began to cast out money changers and turn over tables and crack the whip. And I I believe the whip came in contact with some people. He was fired up. Why was he angry? Well, because they had taken to offering sacrifice, but it was no it wasn't anything they loved. They weren't sacrificing something they loved. They were going into the temple. They had money changers, you know, hey, I got I got a twenty dollar bill, but I know a dove over there's ten. Could you change this for me? Great. Okay, now I got that. Now I'll come over here. Hello, you're a dove seller. I'd like to buy a couple doves. Thank you. Now I'm gonna go into the priest. Here's my doves. Could you offer the sacrifice to the Lord for me? They, they were no longer worshiping. They weren't worshiping. They had become routine and ritualistic and they had found ways to bring a sacrifice, but they weren't sacrificing anything they loved. They were just taking something that was convenient for them to do to honor the word in letter, but there was nothing of their heart that was in the sacrifice. Therefore, they were not worshiping the Lord. They were simply religious. They were just religious. And so if you and I are truly worshipers, it's what we have to guard our spirit against. If I'm not careful, I can come on a Sunday or I can come on a Thursday or I can get up on Monday when I go to my place of prayer and it can become a ritual. I'm no longer daily taking what I love and putting it on the altar and saying, God, nothing comes between you and me. Nothing. This is not. I I can feel myself starting to value this a little more. God, I'm putting it on the altar. I think that's what's happening to many of us in this month of abstaining from all this media. We're realizing, man, that sort of had a hold on me. I sort of love that time. I spent looking here, reading there, scrolling there, doing this. And what's happening is I'm saying, God, I'm trying to take that which I love and lay it on an altar. What do you do when you lay it on an altar? You don't just lay it there and walk away and go, I'll come back and get it later. You lay it on the altar. It's an altar of sacrifice. I expect what I put there to die so that it will no longer take a place in my life of priority over my relationship with Him. That's worship. That's worship. Worship is when I'm willing to take something I love and say, I'll no longer let it get a place in my life that gets between me and Him because I love Him. It's a beautiful thing if, if you look here and you read in Exodus, or Exodus in Genesis chapter 22. We know the story. Abraham takes his son. He lays him on the altar. The Bible says that he bound him there on the altar. Yes, it says he, lay, he bound Isaac, his son, laid him on the altar. That's verse 9. And he stretched forth his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. I don't know if I could do it. I think he was committed. And the angel of the Lord called to him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, don't lay your hand on the lad. Don't do anything to him. Why? For now I know that you fear God. Not that you're afraid of God. 
Now I know you have a holy reverence and respect for our relationship. Seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. You skip down to verse 15. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham out of heaven the second time. And he said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, in blessing I'll bless you and multiply and I'll multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, as the sand which is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Worship always involves sacrifice. And worship always involves obedience to the voice of the Lord. Abraham, now I know because you've obeyed my voice. Abraham did not go into worship going, I'm going to worship so I'll get something. He went into worship knowing, I value the relationship with God above everything I love in my life. And if the God whom I love and reverence is above everything in my life, then I am going to take what I love and I'll put it on the altar if that's what He asks me to do. Because He's greater than anything else. And so it is a sacrificing of that which I love. True worship always requires a sacrifice. Lord, I love you more than fill in the blank. Put it on the altar. Many of you have heard me tell the story. I'll, I'll just tell you quickly again. It was many years ago, 20-something years ago. We were in a season of prayer and fasting back on the East Coast with about another 120, 130 people from across the nation and the world. It was the last night. Spirit of prayer came into the place in a tremendous way. People were laying on the floor, laying across the altar, kneeling at the pew. We were just in prayer for a while. and I was laying on a... I could take you to the place where I was laying if the building was there, but it had collapsed in a snowstorm, so it's gone now. But I, I was laying on the, on the floor in the altar area uh, in this building, and I had my hands like this with my face down in between them, just talking to the Lord, just in overwhelmed by the power of the Lord and His Word and His Spirit. And I prayed a prayer that maybe some of you have prayed along the way. But it was my heart's cry in that moment the way the Lord was dealing with me. Lord, whatever you need, whatever you're asking, whatever, I, I don't want to hold back anything. I just want to walk in what you're asking. I just, these things. And so I, I don't remember every word I said, but that was the essence of what I was praying as I felt the Lord leading me to pray. And as I'm laying there with my hands in my, or my face uh, down between my hands into the carpet like so, I saw a picture my mind's eye, I'm not telling you I had a vision, I just had a mind's eye picture. And in this mind's eye picture stood my wife and my children right in front of me. It caught me by surprise, Brother Lewis. And you would think I would just have this beautiful response. It wasn't necessarily a beautiful response, I don't think. 
my response was, Lord, what in the world are you asking? He caught me so by surprise. He was silent, and I just saw that picture there. I said, Lord, I don't understand. No words, just. And so where my hands were there, and it's as though my, that picture of my family was right there in between my hands where I was, that's about where this microphone is right now, where I was looking at the carpet. It's like that's where my family was. I could see them right there all standing there. It's like they were standing on this little platform thing right there. And whatever the Spirit of the Lord, this isn't my goodness, my ability. The Spirit of the Lord was doing something in my spirit. And I don't know how long it took, but I, the picture didn't go away. And I realized he wasn't changing direction. He was waiting on me. And I simply said, okay, Lord, I don't understand. But if that's what you're asking for. And I put my hands where that picture was. I'm just making any sense to you. I put my hands where that picture was. They went from here like this. And I pushed them to the altar. I kept doing that until I felt like I had truly released them. The longer I live, the more the Lord seems to remind me of those things. Is the Lord telling me, hey, I want you to sacrifice your family and I want you to leave? Well, you know, Jesus did say anybody that loves his father or his mother more than me isn't worthy to be my disciple. Was he saying you shouldn't love your family? No. He's just saying you better not love them more than you love me. See, here's what the Lord knew about me. And he knows about you too. Here's what he knew about me. He knew the childhood I'd had. And so he knew how vitally important and valuable family was to me. He knew how valuable a good home was to me because of what I didn't always have growing up. And so he knew all those things. And so he was saying to me, do you value that which you didn't have, what you now have, more than me? I've witnessed, it's going a little different than I thought here. I've witnessed at times in lives where a family would come to the Lord, begin to live their lives for Him. And in that family coming to live for the Lord, some would begin to make commitments and consecration that maybe everybody else in the family didn't make probably all relate to that in some form or fashion. I've, I've witnessed it in my years where 
a husband and a wife would come to the Lord and God would work in their home, in their marriage. But for whatever reason, one would become committed, consecrated, dedicated, and the other wouldn't. One would sell out, and the other would go along, if that makes sense. It wasn't that neither of them, that only one of them loved God, you understand. But I, I would watch this, and I've witnessed those that would choose to go at it alone. And ultimately, those that would say, you know what, I just can't keep fighting this battle. And so if my spouse isn't all in like I am, I'm not sure I'll be either. See, true worship is taking that which we love and putting it on like that is important. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about destroying any marriage here, you understand. It's just making a determination. This relationship thing is personal. This relationship with God is personal. It's, it's individual. I'm not doing what I'm doing because somebody else is doing it. I'm not living for God because mom did or dad did or mom did or dad didn't. I, I may have started my relationship with God because mom did. But somewhere along the way, I had to make a determination. No, I'm going to have a personal relationship with God. I'm going to have a personal altar where I lay things down and nothing will come between him and I. Why? Because I want to be a worshiper. I want to be a worshiper. And I can't truly worship if I don't take those things and put them on the altar. It's an interesting thing. You find the temple, you know my love for the temple, the tabernacle. The tabernacle was a place of worship. Amen? It was a place of worship. We could, we could, most of us could quote Psalm 100, or if you can't, you should, right? And so, but we, you know, it says, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Then we go to verse 4 of Psalm 100, it says, enter into what? His gates with what? Thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name, for the Lord he is good. Yes? We love that verse. I love that verse. Right? Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Enter into his courts with praise. What is the psalmist referencing? Well, he's referencing what everybody reading it in that time would know. They recognize, oh, he's talking about the tabernacle. We enter into his gates with thanksgiving. The gate beautiful. Remember that guy sitting at the gate beautiful in Acts chapter 3? It's one of the gates. We enter his gate with thanksgiving. We enter into his courts with praise. He ain't said nothing about worship. Why? Because we haven't got to worship yet. We're just in the courts. We just got through the gate and into the court. We haven't made it to worship yet. Once you get past the gate, and once you get into the court, you don't get to bypass the altar. The altar is where worship begins. 
the altar of sacrifice. You don't get to go to the holiest of holies where the presence of God is if you bypass the altar. You have to come into His presence with worship. There has to be a willingness to lay things down. You, you know what? The priest couldn't carry anything into the holiest of holies except blood. He went into the holiest of holies, but the only thing he took in with him was blood. Why? It told the Lord, I came by the altar of sacrifice. I've got something I'm bringing with me that shows you. I didn't skip worship to get into your presence. I'm bringing blood that shows you I stopped and offered at the altar of sacrifice. I'm entering into your presence having worship. What we want to do is we want to get into the presence of God, feel the power of God, go into the depths of the demonstration of the Spirit of God, but we want to bypass true worship. It's why our relationship at times doesn't seem to go to the depth that we want it to go to. It's why our relationships sometimes, how come they seem to go places and God, I'm not going. I'll tell you the answer is found in worship. We think, well, maybe if I'll fast more, maybe if I'll, and thank God for fasting and prayer. We need to be doing that. We need to be in the Word of God. I believe in all of those things. They are part of a relationship with God. But the principal thing in worship is found that that's where the relationship's deepened. Because true worship is putting things on the altar. True worship is laying those things down there at the altar. But the attitude that I come to the altar with matters. And the psalmist in Psalm 100 was telling us the attitude I'm supposed to approach the altar with. Oh, I know we don't read it that way. But it's, it's telling us. Do you think they knew where they were going in the tabernacle? Yeah. I'm going to come in his gates with thanksgiving. Coming into his courts with praise. I'm looking at here. This is my sacrifice. And this is an ox or a lamb or whatever you want to imagine it be. I'm get, now this has cost me something. I didn't stop and pick it up at the table of the money changers. This has cost me something. I'm bringing something I love of value to me. Yes? And I'm coming. I know I'm getting ready to lay it on the altar. I know I'm getting ready to sacrifice it. I'm not taking it back again. I, I didn't take... I didn't look through my flock and say, oh, you know that one, that lamb, I'm pretty done with that one. Let's, uh, let's take, no, 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 I took the best lamb. I took the lamb without blemish. I took the lamb that was spotless. I took the best of my flock. I took that that was the best that I had, and I'm bringing it. And I could be bringing it going, you know, man, I wish I didn't have to do this. Ah, uh, ah. Uh, I know it's what the Lord requires and I'm going to do it. But man, ah, this is really hurting me. This is really... The psalmist said, I'm entering his gates with thanksgiving. I'm entering his courts with praise. I thank you for the sacrifice that you gave me. That's why I can return it to you. I'm praising you for the opportunity to give you my best. I'm praising you for the privilege of getting ready to lay on the altar that which you have put in my hands initially. It has great value to me, but it does not have more value than my relationship with you. So I am thankful to come into an altar 
He said, enter with thanksgiving and with praise. That was the approach to the altar. How often do we approach the altar of sacrifice in agony? How often do we approach the altar of sacrifice in, Oh God, is this really what you want me to do? Oh God, why would you ask this of me? Talking to you about worship. I want to be a worshiper. Is it any wonder that Paul said, The Lord loves. What does he love? He loves a cheerful giver. It spoke of the approach to the altar. Afraid what happens with our music and singing sometimes. We had anointed word. We felt the presence of the Lord here this morning. He, he assured us into his presence. What happens sometimes where I love music because I can praise and be thankful. Oh, I don't know that I want to go into the word. The word begins to cut and deal with my life. That feels a lot like sacrifice. I just enjoy the music, the praise. Worship requires a sacrifice. And how I bring it matters. My approach with it matters. We find in the book of 2 Samuel chapter number 6. We find King David. King David after, it's been many years. In this space, it's after several months. He went to get the ark and bring it back to Jerusalem. Of course, Uzzah touched it and died. So he's like, whoa, hold on a minute. So it was several months. And the Lord let him know that, hey, the house of Obed-Edom is blessed because the ark's there. And so David thought, okay, the Lord's blessing, not killing right now. So I think we can go get the ark. Yeah, I mean, read it. It's in there. The Lord told him that the house was blessed. He's like, okay, I'll go back again. We'll try this again. And so he went back to Obed-Edom's house to get the ark. See, there it is. He said, hey, all that house is blessed. So he goes and he gets the ark of the covenant to bring it back the right way. But this time when he goes and gets the ark, he did a little pre-planning. He said, this is how we're going to do it. You can read it in the, in the book of Chronicles, the story where he names all the different people. that You're going to do this. We're going to get the Levites. Only the Levites are going to carry this. They're going to do it the right way this time. We're going to make sure that we... You understand the ark represented the presence of the Lord. I want to bring the presence of the Lord back into the city of Jerusalem. You want the presence of the Lord operating in your life? You want to get the presence of the Lord back working in your life daily, not just on a Sunday when everybody else is doing it? It starts with worship. Worship is the avenue for the presence of the Lord to abide with us and operate. So David gets the Ark of the Covenant. They got it there. All the Levites got it. They get it up on their shoulders to head to Jerusalem from Obed-Edom. And the scripture says when they had went six paces. There it is. See, told you it was in there. When they bear the Ark of the Lord... And had gone six paces. What did David do? He sacrificed oxen. and Six paces. Somebody done the math before. I didn't take the time to find it this morning. You can go look it up. How far it was from Obed-Edom's house to Jerusalem. And they talked about how many times David would have sacrificed along the way. Because of the fact that every six paces they would stop and offer oxen. What was David doing? David was worshiping. 
Well, he was trying to appease God. No, David was worshiping. He said, if I'm going to bring the presence of God back, I know the only way to truly get the presence of God back where it belongs is worship. And worship always starts with an altar of sacrifice. And so David, every six paces, said, whoa, hold on a minute. We're going to worship right now. More oxen, more fatlings, sacrifice. Pick it up, let's go, six paces. Okay, hold on, stop. More worship, sacrifice. That is, and you watch, by the time he comes into Jerusalem and they've been sacrificing, worshiping, by the time they come back into Jerusalem, the Bible says that David danced before the Lord with all of his might. And there was music and there was singing and there was praise. Why? How did he get there? The presence of the Lord was ushered into the city because it was worship, 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 worship. And David had declared, I'm putting nothing between me and the Lord. I want the presence of the Lord back where I live. I want the presence of the Lord back in the kingdom that I govern because of his hand upon my life. And therefore, I will offer sacrifice continually. Worship is always the avenue for the presence of God to be made manifest. And worship always starts at the altar of sacrifice. You know, the high priest, I referenced it earlier, but I want you to see this. We can't pass over this. The high priest would go into the holiest of holies to worship. The day of atonement. Everybody's, all the heads of houses stood in the door of their tent facing the tabernacle on that day. He'd kill the lamb and go into worship. He might bring a lamb in. But he didn't take any part of the lamb other than the blood. I referenced earlier the only thing that went in to the holiest of holies was evidence of the sacrifice blood Hebrews chapter 10 tells us we start at verse number 19 watch this Having therefore, brethren, boldness. Anybody want boldness? We have boldness, the Bible says, to enter into the holiest. He's talking about the holiest of holies. He's referencing, if you read all of the first nine chapters. Into the holiest. We have a boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. In case you didn't know, that's why we painted the doors on this building red. I wanted you thinking about that every time you came in. We have boldness to enter, not because, well, I have a right, I deserve, I, I, no, 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 no. The reason we know we can enter into the holy place where the presence of God manifests itself is because there was a sacrifice. The sacrifice gave us the right to stand in the presence of God. No sacrifice, no right to stand in the presence of God. No blood, no right to stand in the presence of God. And the writer of Hebrews is declaring to us, we can enter boldly, not because we've earned something. We can enter boldly because somebody went to the altar of sacrifice. Your right to stand in the presence of God came because somebody worshipped. When Jesus went to the cross, I'm telling you, it was worship. 
when he allowed himself to be nailed there, it was worship. What was he saying? I desire the will of God more than my own will. It was love that nailed him to the cross, somebody once said. And that's exactly right. He loved you and I more than he loved his own life. And so he was saying, I'll worship. Love and worship intersected at Calvary when he said, I love them. Why? For a a good man, one would scarcely die. But for an unrepentant sinner, why would anybody die? But he proved his love for us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ understand the cross was the altar of sacrifice the Lord Jesus knew they can never enter into my presence if there's no worship at the altar and they do not possess an adequate sacrifice to have access. And so therefore, I will worship for them. And he went to Calvary in the greatest expression of worship that mankind has ever seen. When he laid down his life so that you and I could have access We have boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Watch the next verse. By a new and a living way which he has consecrated for us through the veil. That is to say his flesh. It was the ultimate demonstration of worship. At the altar of sacrifice. You know, they cried to him when he was on the cross. They said, if thou be the son of God, save yourself. Remember that verse? Could he save himself? Well, he had the ability, but he couldn't do it. To do so means you and I would be lost. So we had to make a decision. Do I save myself or do I continue in true worship so that what pleases the Father is done? The same is true for you and I when we worship. Do I continue and do that which pleases myself or do I continue in true worship so that the will of the Father is done? Am I willing to lay down? This is what the Apostle Paul was talking about when he said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Paul was saying, I'd like you to be worshipers. Every day. Every day. Every day. When Paul said, I die daily, he was saying, hey, I worship every day. I start every day with worship. I go to an altar. I lay my life on the altar. Now, here's the thing. Jesus told Pilate, He said, you can't take my life from me. 
He said, I have the power to lay my life down, and I have the power to take it up again. Yes? I got the power to do that, Jesus said. He understood what you and I have to lay hold of. We have the power. I know he was talking about the resurrection as well. But we have the same power. We have the power to lay our life down. But we also have the power to take our life up again. And so we have to choose, am I going to worship and lay it on the altar? Or am I going to take it back up again? Am I going to take it back? And some of us are in this constant state of laying it down, taking it up, laying it down, taking it up, laying it down, taking it up. And we're going, why am I not going deeper? It's because there is a desire for worship that God is asking of us. And it's laying what I love down. See what I think happens. I think we bring our things lower. Because, you know, you can't go into the holiest of holies carrying your stuff. I can't go into the holiest of holies carrying my stuff. The only way I can get in is by the blood. And no flesh is going to glory in his presence, so i got to get all that out of the way. I may feel his presence, but there's a difference between feeling his presence and being in his presence. You know how you know when you're in his presence? In his presence, there's fullness of joy. That's how you know when you're in his presence. You got fullness of joy. In his presence, there's fullness of joy. And so what happens to enter in, I can bring all my stuff. I got lots of stuff. You got lots of stuff. I can bring all my stuff. And I can come in praising God. Thanksgiving in my heart. Then I'm confronted with an altar. I don't get to go around the altar. And keep my stuff. Just act like that podium is the altar. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I love you, Lord. Oh, glory to God. Hallelujah. Oh, you're so good to me, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. You're wonderful. I praise your holy name. I know I'm being a little lighthearted. Talking to us about worship. I don't get to bypass. I'm a worshiper. Here's my family. Here's my job. Here's my house. Here's here's anything I place value on. I don't want anything. I don't want anything. I don't want to love anything. Hold on. Here's my time. you to know there's none of these things that I love more than you. There's none of these things I love more than you. I worship you. I want it to be pure worship. And I know the only way that it's pure is if I lay all of it on the altar. 
God, I'm not trying to skip the altar. station of the presence of God. You know, I think I'm going to go back by that altar. Maybe I can pick some stuff back up. I mean, I laid it there. But I, I mean, I didn't really expect it to be consumed. I laid it there because I, I mean, I wanted to enter into his presence and in that moment, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm being very sincere. I hope you understand that. In that moment, I, I really was laying it there. I, I was expressing, I don't love those things more than you, Lord. But there's a war between my flesh and my spirit. And I come back by the altar. I'm thinking maybe I can get that stuff off there before it just burns. get in his presence I lay it on the altar I get the touch of the presence of God and what happens there he'll speak to my life and my spirit but okay that's done maybe it's not consumed You say, you mean my, my, my house and my job? You tell, you tell me I quit my job? What, what, are you, what are you telling me to do? You know good and well that's not what I'm telling you to do. You know exactly what the Lord is dealing with us about. These things that we love and they begin to take priority. What do they do? They rob us of true worship. They rob us of true worship. Watch this. Please stand with me. John chapter 4, verse 23. But the hour comes, speaking of time, the hour comes and what? It's what? Look at your neighbor and say, now is the time. That's what Jesus said. That's what Jesus said. He said, the hour's coming and now is. I think we have to make a determination. This is what I feel the Spirit of the Lord dealing with my heart about. Now is the time. Now is the time. Now's the time for what? Well, now is when the true worshipers, they will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Why will true worshipers worship Him that way? Because the Father seeks such to worship Him. True worshipers know this is what the Father's looking for. This is what He's searching for. It doesn't say He's seeking praisers. It says He's seeking worshipers. People who will take the things they love and lay them on the altar. He's looking for worship. 
I know we like to read that scripture like, oh, that means I sing songs that are based in the Bible and therefore I'm a true worshiper because I know truth. That's not what it means. True worshiper is going to take the things he loves and put them on the altar of sacrifice. Watch the next verse. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must. Everybody say must. That sort of scratches out the if you feel like it, doesn't it? They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Why don't you close your eyes this morning and talk to the Lord right there. What is it that you or I hold to that I'm really wrestling with just laying on the altar? Come on, think about what you love. Really, truly, think about what you love. Think about who you love. Come on, think about the things you love. Think about the people you love. What are you willing to lay on the altar? What? What are you not willing to lay there? What can God have? What can God not have? These are, these are elements of true worship. It's what I'll lay on the altar. And Come on, there's some of you here this morning. You've, you've just, like, just like me, we're all human. We've taken some things and we laid them on the altar. But over time, we pick them back up. And maybe we'll lay them down for a week or maybe we'll lay them down for a a three-day fast, but then we pick them back up again. And the Lord's saying, why do you keep grabbing that? Why don't you, come on, talk to Him. Talk to Him in honesty. Come on, worship. Let worship take place. Let worship take place. Let it become a, a lifestyle for you and I. Let it become a lifestyle for you and I. The, the things I love, Lord, I, I don't want to hold them between you and I in any way. Let them be upon the altar, God. Let them be upon the altar, Lord. I want to be a true worshiper. I want to be a true worshiper. I want my worship to be pleasing and acceptable to you. I don't want anything held in reserve. I don't want anything held back. I desire you more than my necessary food. I desire you more than any relationship in my life. I desire you above any and every pleasure of my life. I desire that which pleases you. I take my opinion and I lay it on the altar. Come on, would you be willing to say that? I'll take my opinion and I'll lay it on the altar. I take my ideas and I lay them on the altar. I take my plans and I lay them on the altar. This is my worship unto you, Lord. This is my worship unto you. Oh, come on, I think it would be good if you visualize some things in your spirit as the Lord brings them and you set them on the altar today. I'll open this altar to you if that helps you do so. Come on, why don't you just lay some things, however it helps you. To be able to truly make this step in the Holy Ghost. I lay it on the altar, Lord. I lay it on the altar, Lord. I lay it on the altar, Lord. I want to be a true worshiper. Because I desire to live and abide in your presence. I desire to dwell in the secret place of the Most High God. And I know I cannot approach unto you without sacrifice. And I want nothing between you and I, Lord. 
Hallelujah. Come on, the sacrifice isn't too great. The price isn't too great, Lord. If you would ask Abraham for Isaac, I know you can ask for nothing greater. So, Lord, I bring to you the offering. I open my spirit to you, Lord. I open my ears today. Speak to our lives, O oh God. Illuminate to us anything we hold in reserve that would keep us from being a true worshiper. Reveal to us any area in our life, God. We want to walk in the power of the Spirit. We want to abide in your presence, Lord. We want to live where you live. In the name of Jesus, our life one of worship, our speaking of worship, our thoughts of worship. Oh, Lord, true worshipers. Well, I know I'm in a room filled with worshipers. It's just the Lord inviting us to a deeper place still. It's the Lord inviting us and affecting our thinking and our lifestyle for how He's using us and will yet use us that our life becomes one of worship lived daily. In the name of Jesus, I lay it down and not take it up again. Uh, let the fire consume it, Lord. Let the fire of heaven consume it on the altar, I pray. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, let the fire of heaven consume it, I pray. Jesus, we worship you. We worship you. I know many have been reading together through the scriptures. We've, I was telling someone the other morning, I think I was telling my son Joel and Gabe there in the lobby at the hotel. I said, man, I'm, I don't think I've ever said this. I'm really enjoying the book of Numbers. Keep going back. I was back there again this morning. Um, Numbers chapter 4. Quite the study. Uh, one I've just barely started. Just going to keep digging. As in Numbers chapter 4, we find the tabernacle there. You find that there's a process in the taking down of the tabernacle for transport. Understand the tabernacle is where the Lord dwelt. We know that. We've covered that pretty good in December. But there was a process for transporting this where the Lord dwelt. You find in Numbers chapter 4 their process. And I, I was marked, of course, they would take the Ark of the Covenant. And they were told that 
Everything was to be covered before it was to be transported. The Ark of the Covenant, of course, was to be covered with the veil. The veil that separated the holy place from the holiest of holies. The veil would be taken down and the veil would wrap around and cover the Ark of the Covenant. We understand, we read it in Hebrews 10, the veil represented the flesh of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so is it any wonder that the veil of the temple that represents the flesh would wrap around the ark that represents the presence of God? See, Christ is throughout the scripture. And so the veil covered the glory of God. This is why John could say, we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. But it was all foreshadowing. And then you, you read about the different pieces of furniture. We don't have time for the Bible study this morning. Maybe I'll pick your appetite and we'll start digging. You read about the different pieces of furniture in the holy place, and they were all covered with blue. Blue represents some things. And then you see one covered with blue and scarlet. But then you get out to the altar, the altar of sacrifice, the place where worship takes place. It wasn't covered with the veil. It wasn't covered with blue. It wasn't covered with scarlet. He said, once the ashes are removed, here's what I want you to cover the altar with. I'd like you to cover it with purple. Why? Purple always represents royalty and kingship. Purple was the color of the king. think purple would go on the ark. No. Purple goes on the altar. Where do we see it fulfilled? Where do we see it fulfilled? We see it fulfilled at Calvary. Pilate wrote and put on the cross the king of the Jews. Royalty. Lord is inviting us into a depth of worship whereby I'm certain we will see the manifestation of God like we've not seen it before. Or maybe we've seen it before but only in glimpses. He's wanting to reveal His glory. And so we must become and practice true 